Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for another show. As always, a big shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles of Subtle Solution Media for helping to make this podcast possible. I'm excited just from the short conversation we've had already. I know this guest has a wealth of knowledge from the resume that they bring to the table. I'm excited for what you guys are going to get from today's episode. It is my pleasure to introduce David Wood, former consulting actuary for Fortune 100 companies, founder of Focus.CEO, and the author of the upcoming book, The Mouse in the Room. David, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ted. Thanks for having me on the show. No, absolutely. And I know when I run down those quick little titles, that's just what they are. They're titles. They kind of show maybe a conclusion, but it doesn't show the journey. And it doesn't show really the work that's gone in. It doesn't show the the trials and tribulations along the way. And that's what a lot of this podcast is about. But it's also making sure that our guest and our audience has an opportunity to introduce themselves to each other and get familiar with each other. So I'd love to give you that space right now and, and kind of just talk about who you are really quick to our guests and fill them in into who David Wood is. Thank you. Who I am is someone who grew up without a lot of access to emotional world. I had a tragedy when I was younger. And I think what happened is I shut down the feeling side and I developed the intellectual. So I got really good at numbers, business, systems, money. I got paid to go to university. I got transferred to New York Park Avenue and I'm consulting to Sony Music and Ford and Exxon on their risk profiles. And I thought I had it made. And then someone said, why don't you do this personal growth program? I think it'll really help you. And even though they smiled way too much and they all wore name tags, I stuck with it and they cracked my heart open. I'd learned all these really valuable skills for life, particularly for business, but I'd been missing vulnerability, true intimacy, transparency, true leadership. I didn't know about any of these things. So I've spent the last 20 something years catching up and I think I'm an unusual coaches choose business or life and I'm unwilling to do that. I'm really good at the business stuff. So if you're a business owner and you're already making money, you've got a good product and service. Yeah, I can help you double revenue and your time off, but that's just the beginning. If all you want is more money, you should go to somebody else. Yeah. I'm interested in how's your self care? How are you showing up in the world? If you're on your deathbed tomorrow, Would you look back and say, I gave it everything? Or would you say, hell no, I wasn't playing for real at all. And I want to get in before you get to that moment on the deathbed and and see what changes you want to make so that you can look back and say, I gave it everything. Yeah. What's amazing in that story, though, is it seems that at one time when you're consulting for Sony and you're in New York and you're living what many kind of equate as, okay, the life. A lot of us, when seeking that fulfillment, and some of our listeners may be going through their own storm right now, think to themselves, well, maybe if I just got this raise, or if maybe I just wasn't in debt. And we chase these outward goals, and when we get them, we don't feel any different. When was the moment for you when you kind of looked around and you noticed, okay, hey, everything I've done, everything I've built, well, this is all good, but something's missing. And quite frankly, maybe the most important thing is missing from it, which is what you mentioned, how is your heart, your self-care? What was that switch like for you? When did you realize that was something important that needed to be addressed? I like that question. There are a few moments that come to mind. 
doing that personal growth program, I'm really glad I went and did it because I like to think maybe in the next 10 years, I would have found it anyway. That was a real life changer. There was a moment in the course when everyone was talking about curing world hunger and creating world peace and all these things. And I stood up with tears in my eyes and I said, what's wrong with me? I don't want to cure world hunger. I don't want to create world peace. That's not a goal of mine. What's wrong with me? And the teacher said, well, where'd you get that from? How do you know you don't want those things? And he pointed out that I'd gotten those things from my past. And he said, we're here to create an entirely new future. That was amazing. And then I realized that I had this job and I had this prestige and I had an office and a good salary and all these things were happening, but I wanted more. And I asked myself, if I had six months to do anything I wanted, what would I do with it? And I'd always admired those guys at the ski fields who would put on a black Afro wig and sing Blame It on the Boogie, or they'd do a blonde wig, an ABBA song, mm -hmm. or a kilt and sing 500 Miles. And they get the whole crowd singing and drinking, and it looked like so much fun. So I quit my job. I went back to Australia, hired a singing coach. And two weeks later, I had my first gig. I wasn't a good singer at all, <laughs> but I just went for it. So I guess that was a moment of like, hey, this isn't really quite what I want. And then once I'd done that for a year and a half, and again, I wasn't a good singer. So I knew I didn't have a career at it. I ran into someone who was coaching and I had coached people during the personal growth program and gotten hooked on it. It was such an amazing feeling. I changed somebody's life overnight. Yeah. And I'm like, I, how do I do that? And then I met someone who was actually in training for it. And I said, how about I hire you? I'll be your first practice client and I'll see what this is all about. And then someone showed up to audition for my duo because I needed a good singer since I couldn't sing. And she was having some issues with her life and business. And I said, why don't you be my first practice client? I charged her what I was paying the other guy. And that's how I got started. Nice. 20 something years ago in the field of coaching. And here we are 20 years later. All right. Which is crazy because I want to point out to the listeners, and this is going to lead perfectly into this next question. You quit your job, went back to Australia, hired a singing coach, and you also... I had the self-awareness. I've never heard you sing, so I'm going to take your word for it. You had the self-awareness where you weren't a good singer. That could not have been safe. And I know a lot of the listeners right now are like, whoa, quit my job. This, the other thing. We grow up and we get in this pattern and this focus of this is safe. This is how I get through life. This is what I do and I'll be okay. But I heard a great quote where it says, don't travel cautiously through life to arrive safely at death. And that stuck with me. And I know it could not have been easy or could not have been safe to just quit your job and go back to Australia. So why is it so important for our listeners right now to kind of embrace a little bit more of that mindset of taking risks and calculating those risks, of course, but not playing it so safe and maybe seeing what they're really capable of? Well, you said it so perfectly in that quote. I say the comfort zone can get pretty uncomfortable over time. And the risk is re regret. What I'm really good at doing is looking ahead. That's what I'm really good at doing. And actuary is all about risk assessment. And I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, wow, I really should have spoken up. I should have asked that woman out. I should have gone for that new business venture. I should have dived into acting to see what would happen. I should have, whatever it is for you, that's the risk. And I don't want anyone to have that regret. And so I've found life tends to get better if we take good bets, take good risks. Now, it might feel rough. It might feel very scary. Two months ago, I decided to try out acting. Let's do this. I've been talking about it in my head 
for 10 years, let's do acting. And I was going to put it off till next year. And I started telling someone about my dream. I said, May 1, I'm moving to Los Angeles, which is true. That's my commitment to pursue acting full time. And she said, well, I'm going to an audition. You want to come with me? And your part of me is like, hell no. <laughs> Firstly, I don't know how to act. And secondly, I don't know how to audition. But another part of me is like, this is the universe knocking. This is what you do. You respond. So scary as it was, and I auditioned four different parts of this play Dracula, and they offered me the lead. So now I'm playing Dracula in a professional paid production. <laughs> now, you don't have to go cold turkey. So when I back to Australia, it wasn't like I quit my job and then what am I going to do for income? The hack that I used, the mental hack was I can take a six-month break. Mm -hmm. That was what I told myself. I had a bit of money saved up. So I'm going to give myself six months to do this. And I was switching countries anyway. So I needed to let go of the job. And I figured at the end of six months, I'll go and find another job. So it wasn't hugely scary in that way financially. The scary bit was getting up in front of people, knowing that I didn't have a strong voice and performing. That was terrifying. Same as auditioning for Dracula. And then when we did our dress rehearsal in front of our first live audience, I mean, I'd known my lines for five weeks. But I was worried that with the stress, I might forget my lines, which made me more anxious. Yeah. I guess one thing that's helped a lot is making friends with fear and saying, it's okay to be afraid. I'm afraid a lot. I keep on jumping into new things. My clients are afraid a lot because if they're not afraid, then maybe the game isn't big enough. Yeah. So let's pick something that's a stretch for you and go for that. And then, yes, that's going to be edgy and we're going to use some hacks to get through it to make it a little more comfortable. And then as you start to get the results and you build your competence, that's where the confidence starts to come in. And now doing Dracula, I'm not nearly as scared as I used to be. And playing guitar and singing for people, I know I can put on a good show. I'm not really worried about that anymore. A new edge that's just come up is I just hired a singing teacher last week mm -hmm. and it's been 10 years since I've had any lessons and I'm like, let's do it. And it was so good. I couldn't believe what even just in the car on the way home, the difference that it was making. Now, the next edge for me is going to be to perform a song without a guitar because the guitar kind of gives me some protection. It gives me something to do. It's a lot more impressive. If I'm just there with a microphone singing in front of a crowd, that's going to be pretty damn scary, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's the only thing people can focus on is the voice and nothing else. Yep. What I love what you said, though, because I have a thing I always say, you know, do it scared, right? Right. And a lot of times people are like, man, when I would MC an event or I would host an event, I would look at the person next to me or someone, the co-host or something. I was saying, are you nervous? And they were like, no. Are you? I'm like, yeah, I still get nervous. Like I always tell people that's my secret. I speak in front of people all the time. My day jobs in front of people. Public speaking is what I do. It still makes me nervous. But my mental hack is being nervous is just a heightened sense of awareness for my body to understand, to react appropriately to the situation I'm about to put it in. I'm nervous because I need to be on point. <laughs> right. That's a great reframe. By being on point, I can better execute what it is that I need to do. And what we end up finding out is the thing that we were so nervous about isn't as grand as we make it. Yeah, usually. You've just modeled really well what we talked about in the Patreon video. Mm -hmm. Talked about welcoming what's happening, being with what is instead of seeing it as a problem. And I think so often our natural mindset, and same for me, if I get nervous, like I had an anxiety attack very brief about maybe three or four nights ago, 
And two weeks before, if that had happened, I would have gotten anxious about the anxiousness, the anxiety. I would have been afraid because there's something wrong. But I've recently read about the physiology and what happens in the body. And I knew this is okay. This is what my nervous system is doing because my animal brain is worried. No big deal. Let's stop the TV. Let's work out what's going on. And within like 10 minutes, I was, I was fine. What you did with the fear about going on stage is you've reframed it. It's like, this is good for me. No rain, no rainbows. So it might be the anxiety and the rainbow is I'm alert. I'm awake and I'm on. And it makes me sad thinking of so many people in the world not doing something because the mind says, I won't do that because it's scary. It'll be uncomfortable. And we've gotten so used to comfort. If our plane, if our chair doesn't recline far enough on the plane, we're bitching about it. Got a cup of tea right here. And if it's not just the right temperature, I've got to go down and put it in the microwave and whatever. And it means that we don't get to do all these amazing new things. But if we can reframe it the way you did, when you do anything new, if the stakes are high enough, of course you're going to feel fear. Just get used to feeling fear. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to do some of the things I've done, like step off a mountain in the Himalayas with a paraglider strapped to your back. Like you don't have to get up and speak in front of a thousand people if you've never spoken before, but find your edge. Here's an exercise for all listeners. Write down on a piece of paper, what would you love to do if you had no fear? Yeah. If I had no fear, I might speak more publicly. I might go and sing. I might go and pitch myself to John Travolta as a co-star or whatever it is for you. I might ask for something in the bedroom that I want sexually. I might make a confession to my kids. I don't know what it is for you, but you might if you give yourself permission to just start writing and creating. And then you don't have to go and do all of these things, but just work out, oh, that's my edge. These things are where my edge lies. And maybe you'll circle two or three that wouldn't be too traumatic, but wouldn't be too easy. And you'd be like, okay, that's a stretch. I'm going to call that person and apologize. I'm going to call that person and let them know something that they did really offended me and I'm hurt and I want to repair the relationship. Whatever it is for you, let's start with awareness. Yeah. And that stretch, I know for a lot of folks, we have at the core and instinctually, there's two motivators. It's either the avoidance of pain or the pursuit of joy or the pursuit of pleasure. Let's paint that picture really quick for the listeners, the benefits that stretch can provide. Because one of my favorite quotes that I've said it on this podcast before, it's not the last time I'm going to say it, but they say, your dreams are waiting for you in the winds of the sky. And you ask, what if I fall? But what if you fly? And it's kind of like a way of saying, hey, on the other side of your comfort zone is really everything that you're looking for. But some people have a hard time grasping what that looks like. What does it look like when people actively do that stretch with that practice? They call that person and apologize or they do that one little thing that's a little uncomfortable and they get used to it. How can their lives transform? For me, what it initially looks like is fear and discomfort. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I've just met someone and we've had a couple of dates and there's a tantric exercise where you lie down and face each other and you eye gaze and you breathe. That's scary. Mm -hmm. It's very scary with anybody, but I know the results are great. I know if we get through 30 minutes of it, then our nervous systems wind down and feel in sync and feel really connected. So initially it looks like, I don't want to do this. This is really awkward. And then if you do do it a few times, I've had so many tough conversations in my life. And some of the initial ones were terrifying because I picked some of the biggest and I had a coach supporting me. 
I called a bully from high school and who I'd hated for years. And I called him to say that I'd been resenting him for years and I was letting go of it. I just wanted to connect. Dumped me twice and given me the cold shoulder in school. And I'd been holding that against her, letting go of it. And I called her to say it. Amazing, terrifying calls. I'm not saying that listeners, you need to go and pick up, break off something that big, but the more you do it, then they do get easier. And so then what you can do is take on the bigger things. You can be like, oh, well, I did those little ones and that went pretty well. All right, I'm going to take another shot. So my hope is that you'll develop a habit. You got this far in life. I bet every one of us has had to do things that have been scary to get where we are. And if you're the kind of person who's always riding your edge, then great, mm -hmm. keep going. And I trust that when it's too much, you'll know and you'll pull back and know when to nurture instead of pushing. But if you're someone who does play it a little, little too safe and you would like to take more risks, what we do wrongly, Ted, is we take the wrong risks. People are idiots. And I can include myself in that. You smoke cigarette every day. That's a risk with very little upside. Mm -hmm. You are risking a horrible, painful, expensive death for very little upside. In Colorado, you don't have to wear a helmet when riding a motorcycle. I'm almost speechless thinking about how stupid that is to be hurtling along the road and you could hit a bump. A rabbit could cross the road. Not even your fault. Anything and you go flying through the air. Think you'd want a helmet at that point? Mm -hmm. So people go to Bali and they've never ridden a motorcycle before and they rent a scooter and drink a couple of beers and then go out on the scooter with no helmet in one of the most dangerous road environments in the world. These things are just stupid. And then yet when it comes to telling someone how you really feel and saying, hey, I love you, or I'm really hurt by something that happened. Asking a celebrity to endorse your product or pitching yourself to be on stage. It's like, oh, don't want to do that. That's scary. Yeah. We're scared of the wrong things. So it's not the fact that we're not taking risks. It's probably taking the wrong risks in our lives. We're choosing the wrong ones. Yeah, I think so. Even speeding. And I'll do it. Go say maybe the speed limit's 55 and I'm doing 65. Mm -hmm. Not the brightest thing in the world, but you do that at night. That's another risk factor that now it's nighttime and now there's some light rain on the road. Do that as well. And then you get a call. So you take on your phone. You've just combined four separate things that could kill you. And so the chances of an accident just go up. This is how my brain worked. But when it comes to human interaction, the risk usually isn't that great. You go back, say, 5,000 years. If you didn't fit in with people and they were going to exclude you, you would die because you weren't part of the tribe anymore and you needed the tribe to survive. But these days, if you offend someone, it's unlikely that you'll starve generally because of it. You might feel awkward. It might be very uncomfortable. You might feel embarrassed. Your childhood wounds might be triggered. Yeah, that stuff could come up. They might get angry. But the days where we're running from a tiger are few and far between. So, but we're still operating as if we're back in the jungle and we really could die. And most of the things that scare us aren't actually going to kill us. But I think our animal brain doesn't know that. Yeah. It's good news because then you can say, all right, this is fear. This is what my body's doing. It wants to protect me. And I'm going to override that because this could be really good stuff on the other side of it. So yeah. I'm going to take a shot. Don't be kind of slave to the primitive brain. Assess the current society and nature in which we live in and understand that this is not going to kill me. It just might make me uncomfortable to start the conversation. Yeah, it's going to be damn <laughs> awkward.
I've also found some of the best lessons come from personal experiences through hardships, which is why I have the name of the podcast, No Rain, No Rainbows. Earlier, you mentioned everyone doesn't have to walk off of a cliff with a paraglider strapped to their back. That had a traumatic experience for you. What was that recovery like? I, I believe this was a paragliding accident that happened. Yeah. What happened for the listeners that don't know the story and kind of what was the lesson from that we can all take away from? I was thinking about this yesterday. I've had at least three accidents flying. I've had two accidents in a hang glider. I was flying very low to the ground, crashed, just dove into the ground and didn't really hurt myself. I had another incident where I had a full collapse of my paraglider at 300 feet above the ocean oh, wow. in Bali and I was plummeting. I didn't even know I was plummeting. I was so focused on the wing and trying to reinflate it. I didn't know that I was in free fall, but everyone watching me said, you are in absolute, cause my, my wing had just collapsed and 80 feet above the ground, I reinflated it. And so I lived. I walked away from that one and it kept flying which was surprising. But then in Colombia, I was only 10 or 15 feet above this mountain. I'd come down to land and I didn't control the wing correctly and a little bubble caught me. And from about 10 or 15 feet, I fell onto my butt. And so that's where I fractured my spine. Fortunately, it was a mild compression fracture and I had a good day. This is an example of welcoming, right? <laughs> so when I first hit, I was screaming in agony. But then I wiggled my toes and I said, I know what this is because I'd actually had a very similar accident in a parkour at the age of 45. I'm like, I'm going to learn parkour. I'm going to jump and fly through building and I hurt my spine. So when this happened, I was like, it's okay. I know what this is. And people were running over and they're all yelling in Spanish. And I just hit my video camera and kept recording everything. And they were so nice to me. I had to wait for an hour on a stretcher on my own for the ambulance to arrive. And it was really a fun and interesting day. So one lesson I got from it was it's not what happens to you that gives you your experience. It's how you relate to it. Are you welcoming it? Are you embracing it? That's what gives you your experience. If I did lose both my legs, it's not losing the legs that would give the suffering. It would be my stories about I'm not man enough now or I can't do these things or I can't fully live, whatever. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm a huge fan of Byron Katie because she helps us hack into our stories. So that was one lesson from it. And the other lesson I got, I was actually willing to die at that point. I think that's why I, I didn't mind flying because I was like, well, I've lived a pretty good life. And if I did die doing this, then not a big deal. But what I realized was I want to stick around. Life is pretty interesting. And with all the technology that's going on, I want to see what happens in the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. And also with advances in medical science, I saw this interview with a guy who said, wear your seatbelt because we're approaching a day when for each year of life you live, they will learn how to extend your life one more year. <laughs> they call that escape velocity for human beings. And he said, wear your seatbelt. You don't want to die right now. And I was like, I don't want to die right now. And I, looking ahead, I realized it's not if, but when. If I keep flying and if I keep riding my motorcycle, which I do love motorcycles, but if I keep doing this, it's not if, but when I'm going to come off. And then it's just a matter of how bad is it going to be? Am I going to walk away from it? Am I going to be a paraplegic? Am I going to have a, a permanent brain injury? So I decided it wasn't worth it. It was worth it to do it once. It's worth touch the sky and have that experience. Oh my God, but I don't need to do it every day. So I'm flying from my house. 
here in Boulder, Colorado, it hurts me sometimes. I'm like, oh, rubbing it in. But I would rather have my feet on the ground. There's a saying in flying, better to have your feet on the ground wishing you're in the sky than being in the sky wishing you had your feet on the ground because there's a storm coming or you can't get down or you're about to die. I'm quite comfortable having my feet on the ground. There are plenty of other things I could do for adrenaline, like acting. Yeah, that's certainly a good one. I can't wait to see you in the credits afterward one day. But when it comes to what you just said, it's worth it to touch the sky. I take that in a literal sense. I also take that in a figurative sense because kind of like you mentioned, there's other things that can give you adrenaline. We're not encouraging everybody listening to hop on a hang glider or anything like that. I've been skydiving twice. I'm still happy to do so again. But definitely as I get older, I understand the risk that I'm taking a little bit better. Now that folks are traveling to space, that's something I'd really enjoy. I'd love to see what the earth looks like from a few miles up in the air. But on more of the figurative side, it's worth it to touch the sky. So many different people have many definitions to what their sky is. And as we're coming to our time here in the podcast, what is it you think keeps most people's feet on the ground? What is it that holds them back? And I know it's fear, but, and it might be the judgment and all that, but if you can give a tip to our listeners right now and give them that encouragement to take that next step, get your feet off the ground and be in the sky, at least just to touch it. Keeping your feet on the ground was a good decision. That was something for me, right? Now we're switching to a metaphor in which we want to fly safely in a way that we're not going to kill ourselves, but that we'll be proud mm-hmm. of what we've done. And I think the first step is generating the possibility. That's something we can do that the animals cannot do. Yeah. We can generate possibility. And this is what I got from that first personal growth program, the Landmark Forum, generating possibility. And my job as a coach is to be a possibility generating machine and to help my clients see it. So, for example, with the acting in the back, just as a whisper, one day I'd like to do it, never came out into reality. When you get a coach, and I am biased, I've had five coaches in my life. I want to sing better, I get a coach. I want to act better, I get a coach. want to grow my business, get a coach. To me, it's a no-brainer. But we need to generate the possibility. Once Now that I see the possibility of acting, I can be auditioning. Okay, what websites can I audition on? This morning, they wanted me to audition and they wanted me to cackle. It had to be a maniacal laugh to play the lead in a horror film where there are no lines of dialogue for the lead, just the cackle. I don't know how to cackle. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. But then he sent me the script and I started getting into it. And then I came up with two weird laughs. And then I got on YouTube and I listened to some cackles. I went, oh, okay. And then I did an audition tape with five different weird, creepy laughs. But it's the possibility what do I want in my life? How would it look if I could have anything? And I don't think we do enough of that as humans. Mm. And you can get yourself in a mastermind. You can get yourself in a men's group or a women's group or some nine non-binary gender group. You can get yourself a coach. You can go and do the landmark forum and generate the possibility. That's the first step. I didn't know that I could charge $2,000 a month for coaching until I heard someone was doing it. Mm-hmm. And I generate that much value. And then I, a friend of mine was doing it. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you generate that much value that you can charge that? And he, he showed me. I'm like, okay, great. But until we see that would be the first thing, just generate the possibility. Once you've got that and your mind might hide it from you because it's like, oh, we couldn't do that. It'd be scary. So that's why you sometimes need some encouragement to do whatever your dream is. Once you've got that, then we can start talking about How's that going to look? What's one step you'd be willing to take in that direction? 
That's amazing. I do mention in terms of the metaphor, your feet are now safely on the ground, but you do know what it's like to fly. And a lot of folks have had their feet on the ground, never touching the sky. So I hope they can start manifesting those possibilities. I hope they can start seeing that it's worth it, at least just to touch it. You don't have to stay up there. (laughs) You can come back down and you can maybe find your other wrist. I know you have the book coming out soon, The Mouse in the Room. What's that a book about? Because I saw it was kind of saying, you know, the elephant's not the only thing in the room, right? Yeah, right. What could people expect to learn from that? It's about transparency. See, we all know about the elephant. You see it, I see it, no one's saying anything. That's the elephant in the room. We've got an expression for that. But so many creatures in the room are much more subtle, and we have no language. That's why I'm writing the book with my co-author, Shana List. So, for example, any thought you're having that the other person doesn't know about, that's a mouse in the room. Any emotion that you're having, you might feel a little sad by something that happened earlier, and maybe it's getting in the way of your meeting. That's a mouse. I saw something, an accident with an animal, wasn't dead yet. I was crying in the car. And then when I got to my audition, if that was still with me, I could name it. I could just name that mouse. Hey, I just saw something that was upsetting. It's still a bit with me. I'm sure I'll shake it off soon, but just wanted to name it. This is also something we don't really have in our society. I just wanted to name it. It can change things. I went on a date recently. And this wonderful woman said to me, you know, I'm feeling low. I'm feeling melancholy. And normally I wouldn't want to be social. I don't want to be social when I'm feeling this. I'm choosing not to cancel. I just wanted to name it. Now that allowed me to relax more because I was feeling tired. And I was like, should I cancel since I'm tired? But no, if she can show up how she is, maybe I can show up and just be tired and I can name that. And I did name it. And once I named it, I actually felt less tired. I was more relaxed now because we were honest with each other. So one of the subtitles for this book, The Mouse in the Room, is your courageous pathway to connection, confidence, and leadership. Because we're like billiard balls, us humans, bouncing off each other. We want to connect. We desperately want to connect, but we're bouncing off each other, as my teacher David Cates would say. And If you are willing to clue the other person into your experience, hey, I really admire you. It can be positive mouse. It might be a confession mouse. It might be a reality check mouse. Hey, I notice I'm making up a story that I may have offended you last week, and I want to check if that's true. There's a reality check mouse. So I think this book has a potential. I know it has the potential to change the world. So instead of me presenting a front to you and you presenting a front to me and our fronts are interacting, you can get the real David and I can get the real Ted and we can actually connect about what's happening instead of our stories of each other. Yeah. Addressing the mouse in the room. I love it. David, how can our listeners and our audience get in contact with you, follow up with you, maybe use your coaching services if they're in need of advancing themselves? I'd love for our audience to have the ability to kind of connect with you further beyond this episode. Thank you. I've got a couple of really great tools I'm happy to give away. I created a link that'll take you straight to a hidden page on my website. If you're interested in productivity, I've got a cheat sheet for that. If you are already up and running in business, you need to be already successful. You're making at least 5000 a month and you've got a great product or service and a good reputation. Then I can help you go further. I can help you fly higher and you have to have an interest in your life being better. If money's your only goal, 
I say respectfully, go and work with someone else. There are plenty of people who work only with money. I will help you double revenue, but I get really juiced about how's your self-expression? How's your leadership? Are you pursuing the goals that are really going to make you happy beyond money? And you can request a 15-minute session with me. We'll get on the phone and we'll see if we're a fit for everybody. And not everyone's a fit for me, but we can work that out in usually in about 15 minutes. And the link for that, I tried to create a very memorable, easy link myfocusgift.com. Myfocusgift.com will take you straight to that page on my site. Awesome. I'm going to have that link in the show notes, making sure that folks are going to be able to use that. And thank you so much for providing that to our listeners, some helpful services and products there in terms of helping them wherever they might be as of right now. If I can add, I also have a podcast. Listeners, if you'd like to listen mm-hmm. to my podcast, it's Extraordinary Focus. And again, you can find it, that link in the navigation menu or just search on Extraordinary Focus and David Wood. Well, I'm happy to have all that linked there in the show notes as well. So folks can just open up the app, whatever they're listening to, and get those links right away. But David, thank you so much for the value and, and for helping reshape some of our thinking around fear, our comfort zone, and really the possibility that lies beyond. You're very welcome. You strike me as a very deep dude. <laughs> and I really appreciated the quotes you've come out with today. They've, they've stayed with me. So it's a pleasure to meet you. No, absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. And I'm going to recap some of the gems you left along the way because you've left some quotes with me as well that I want to recap for our listeners in case they weren't taking notes or maybe they're listening in the car or while they clean the house. We're here to create an entirely new future. That's something that hit me because so many of us judge or they look at the report cards of our past and think that it's going to dictate what our future looks like. It's not the case. Every day is a blank canvas. Every day you can start anew and push towards the future. It's not forgetting about the past or ignoring what happened beforehand, but it's giving yourself the grace to grow and become better than you once were, or even recap and regroup, regain some of that strength that you once had. So definitely don't judge your future based on your past. And the comfort zone can get very uncomfortable. We like where we are until we don't. And that's something that tends to be some of the the catalyst for change. Either it's the pain of where we are and us wanting it to change or us going up amongst ourselves and making that change. So please do be the first one, not the second. And then make friends with fear. I do a lot of things in my life scared. and I've known a lot of successful people who do so as well. It's just kind of the trade-off, the prerequisite for the life that we want to live. It's going to require some buy-in. There is a barrier to entry for the things that we hope to accomplish and hope to do in life. And if it wasn't for that barrier of entry, everyone would be doing it. So to me, the best fruit is at the top of the tree and you have to climb the tree to get it. The low-hanging fruit usually isn't always the most nutritious. And of course, generate possibilities and just name it. Those things that we go through, the things that we experience and we're not really sure how to express it, maybe just naming it is all we have to do. And if you need help with that, I'm excited for that book, The Mouse in the Room, to be coming out, co-authored by David Wood. Guys, thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. David, thank you again for the time, the expertise, the vulnerability, and the stories. And of course, if you guys enjoyed the episode and made it to the end, share this with a friend that you think can value from it. Give us a like, subscribe. Also, give us a review and a rating. Let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is if you let us know what we can improve at. And as always, if you love the podcast and you want to support monetarily and hear more from our guests like David Wood and others, you can support our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. We appreciate you. And as we always say at the end of the episode, 
Everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow. Let's go.